0: Almost every utility CEO, it's really know your customer and for some of them they're not quite sure who it is, understand your customer and then listen to them and help them change the world that they want to change.
1: This is Energy Cast, and I'm Jay Downhower. Today, we are talking about electric utilities, how the business models that have served them well for over a century are quickly changing. I can't believe I haven't used this musical cue yet, so here we go. We're gonna turn it on, we're gonna bring in the power, the electric company. <laughs> Yeah, you'll have to forgive me. I'm about five years too young for that one. My guest says it's not the rise of renewables or distributed do-it-yourself energy production as much as it's the utility industry's long-awaited entry into the information age. Consumers want information and they want transparency, he says. I've long thought about electric utilities as being electron providers. Oh no. According to my guest, utilities provide something far more important and far more intangible. I've been wanting to discuss this idea idea for a while now. I got the idea while watching that Michael Keaton movie about McDonald's founder Ray Kroc. Is there a problem? A big one. You don't seem to realize what business you're in. You're not in the burger business, you're in the real estate business. That character was named Harry Sonneborn, who did, in fact, convince Kroc to own the land the restaurants were built on. He eventually became the company's first president and CEO. You see, these types of my business really does this conversations a lot. My guest calls this exercise perspective-shifting analyses. So how should electric utilities really see themselves? It's an important answer because there are voices out there that think utilities' influence is waning. If all the energy comes from free, renewable energy, and one can make all their power from rooftop solar and batteries, why do they need to mess with a bill? Also, what other services could a utility provide? These are answers we hope to find out. My guest today is Mackie McCleary, partner at Energy Consulting, a company with roots in Germany. The company is a subsidiary of Eon, a major utility there, and was formed through the restructuring with another major utility, RWE. As a consulting firm with a footprint now in the U.S., Energy hopes to assist partners in several sectors, including getting utilities familiar with their customers. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Mackie McCleary. Here with Mackie McCleary, partner and US lead for Energy Consulting. And Mackie, easiest question of the episode why do clients need a consultant?
0: I don't know. It's not the easiest question, but I think I can answer it pretty well. Put simply, everyone needs help. The fundamental role of any kind of consultant, there's lots of different types of consultants out there, but our role fundamentally is to be of use. One of the main things we do is dig in with our clients to understand what are the things that are driving their success, failure, their fears, and try to be helpful with them. In all parts of my life, as well as my professional life, I love having people help me. (laughs) I think that's kind of why we're able to be useful.
1: You point out the trend of large power plants being replaced by smaller Less distributed generation. Now, look, you can get a lot of economy of scale from a power plant. So, is this always the case to go smaller?
0: so a trend is not always 100 percent. yeah the short answer is there's lots of situations still where scale is going to be really valuable look at what's happening in renewables you have the simultaneity of the development of the distributed generation but also these massive wind farms both onshore and offshore where the scale is really valuable i think energy will continue to be in all of the above and what we're seeing when we talk about this trend is just that unlike 60 years ago when all you had were massive power plants. The world is getting more and more complicated and will continue to get more complicated from an energy point of view.
1: I've had this thought for a while now, and I'm going to take it for a test drive in this interview. So IBM doesn't sell computers, they sell solutions. Uber isn't a taxi service. They connect parties. And I don't know if you saw that McDonald's movie, The Founder, there was a scene where a character told Michael Keaton, McDonald's isn't a restaurant, it's a real estate company. So are you? Electric utilities, no longer electron providers. How do you think they should see themselves?
0: Yeah, so what's interesting here is I'd call all those analyses perspective shifting analyses. A good friend of mine who's a hedge fund investor used to always say that basically all big box retail are just real estate companies. He made the same (laughs) analysis for Kmart and all these other places. I would argue, as both a former regulator and currently a sort of thought partner for utilities, I'm not sure electric utilities were ever electron
1: providers.
0: (laughs) I would make an argument that the electric utility, along with, frankly, all other utilities, that what they provide is, in fact, ubiquity and access. The commodity that goes along with that is somewhat immaterial. The entire business model came from this very radical social idea that every single human being in our society deserved to and had the right to have access to these key commodities, electricity, water, in some cases, natural gas. That is where the radical business model came from. And the commodities themselves are sort of like the gas in a car. I would argue that saying an electric utility is only an electric provider is like saying that an automobile manufacturer is actually an oil company. Those <laughs> things are related to one another, but they're not the same. It's not a sufficient way to describe what the services, from a societal point of view. Utilities are immensely valuable because of their ability to provide ubiquity and access. And I think that need is going to continue, even if and as the commodities that are relevant to that need shift over time.
1: Should we be thinking of them as we do pay a bill for electricity? Do you see them as trying to expand their offerings beyond the electric bill?
0: Yeah, I think that's a natural evolution. We receive a bill for electricity now, but we talked a little bit about how the generation environment is going to be changing. As the price of producing electricity decreases, at the end of the day, it's really hard to beat someone who doesn't pay for fuel. Mm-hmm. And so, the real price of renewable electricity is very, very low. That bill is going to be for things that are much more than electricity. Already, if you actually take a look at your utility bill, only a portion of your bill is energy. There's a whole bunch of other stuff on there. In Northeastern states, you've got energy efficiency. In some cases, states, you've got EV subsidies. In other states, you've got fuel subsidy. All these sorts of things, which are all a part of delivering. A ubiquity though. what they're really talking about is the service is the lights turn on electricity is one of the tools that allows you to do that yes they've already started to shift you know how and what we are paying for I think that will continue as the society itself evolves in terms of what we need
1: help us understand what's changed with electric utilities. Why is the business model that's lasted the past 130 years changing now?
0: It's changing because society is changing. And the other part of it is as the technology has changed, technology has made some massive shifts, both in generation, distribution, and consumption in a way I would say that we're almost in this industry among the last to come to some of the more obvious changes of the late 20th and early 21st century. You could drop Thomas Edison into a gas plant, uh, <laughs> relatively certain he'd be able to operate it without much trouble. I think the advent of the information age, and it's on every single part of our lives is just now seeping into this deeply embedded part of our life, which is infrastructure. And as a result, the business model has to change. The power of the consumer is different. The way we produce electricity is different. All of these things are changing from the distribution of those generating assets to the effectiveness and intelligence that exists at the edge of the grid that decides consumption occurs. The business model needs to and is actually changing to reflect that because the one thing that hasn't changed, is the fact that we need electricity. Yeah. Again, that's the thing that the utilities are providing, is that ubiquity and reliability, and the method of that is really what's shipping.
1: On the website, Mackie, Energy talks about energy companies being, quote, energy managers. This kind of goes back to not just being electron providers, but what does that really mean? What
0: we mean by that is managing an energy portfolio to ensure that your lights turn on. And that may mean managing your demand in some cases. It may mean figuring out when and where solar is being produced and where storage is occurring, whether that's water storage or battery storage. There's several different levels of that management. Really they've always been energy managers, whether you're thinking about a transmission or a distribution system operation. What they're really doing is managing assets that are rising and falling with demand and supply. And what we're really seeing now is that evolution is more transparent to that type of management at the consumer level. Whereas before, I would have considered you could almost compare electricity to the front of the house, back of the house of a restaurant. The plate that comes out is gorgeous. I have no idea what's happening in many restaurants behind the wall in order to make that gorgeous plate. And in the restaurant industry, just like here in the utility industry, we're starting to break down that wall, right? So you go in a restaurant nowadays, especially the modern ones, you're sitting right in the kitchen in some cases. You see them preparing the food. When we meet by energy manager at the consumer level, it's the same sort of thing. We're able to now sort of see whether it's because we have distributed generation or because we have a Nest thermostat or a smart internet of things, we're able to have much more visibility into sort of the quote unquote sausage making of how our lights do turn on on a day-to-day basis.
1: Right. I mean, you never would have thought about people saying, I want my electricity to come from X. I did a couple of episodes about renewable-only retail electric providers.
0: Yeah. And that transparency is something we expect in everything from how we buy our clothes to how we drive our car, and it's now just coming into the electricity industry as well. And that's really why utilities, like I would say, I think they've always been energy managers. I think that management has not been really to the consumer until now.
1: Listeners know I work in transmission day-to-day. How will this sector of the business drive the electric industry?
0: Well, it's interesting. What I'd say is one of the interesting things about change is that not everything changes. Transmission is gonna continue to be a critical backbone for our electricity industry for the foreseeable future, largely because many of the new renewable assets are massive fields of production, which require transmission in order to move along. Electrons, unlike some other commodities, actually don't mind being moved a couple thousand miles, especially over superconducting cable. While the sun might not always shine where I'm sitting in Rhode Island right now, it may be shining 400 miles away and they're producing electricity at a very low rate. As a result, those electrons are still going to have to move over long distances. The transmission industry, both providing those electrons, connecting the increasing connectivity that we're starting to see at the distribution level started actually happening at the transmission level 70, 80 years ago. In many ways, the transmission industry is a good example of what the future of the distribution industry looks like in terms of it operating like an interconnected network. I think transmission across all of the different sectors of the energy industry is one of the areas where over the next five to 10 years, not that you'll see no change, but compared to what's happening at the business model level for the distribution entities, the transmission industry in many ways is already there.
1: Yeah. I've heard a lot of people talk over the years about what your bill looks like now, right? Where you have a multiplier times the kilowatt hours. Do you think you're going to see a lot more bills that or more of a wheeling fee?
0: It's hard to figure out. There's a couple, what I would say, harbingers. Look at the way that your cell phone bill has evolved from your phone bill 30 years ago. That's an industry that went through a very similar type of transition. What we're really being charged for now, actually, in many cases, we even evolved beyond being charged for data. It's kind of just a flat rate. A lot of what I'm paying for is the device. We've gone from this space where everything was hidden and we just got a number to an extraordinary transparency across all these components back down to almost a flat rate number that just describes the service it's hard to say what the bill is going to look like and i think what they tend to reflect is really what's their customers getting when i say utility i mean little utility just like what value is the customer getting out of it it may depending on the customer so if i'm an industrial customer i may get a flat rate reliability charge i'm a hospital i want to know that the lights are never going to turn off and i'll pay a certain amount per month to ensure that Right. It's hard to figure out exactly what it will be, but I think it will be a lot related to what that type of customer values most.
1: Energy as a company started in Germany and they were tied to Eon.
0: They're actually involved in an asset swap, Eon and RWE.
1: What did Energy learn there and how do you think that will benefit American companies?
0: Yeah, well, you know what's really interesting about electricity is that it's really in so many ways the same everywhere like essentially the value proposition is the same there are some things in germany that happened first what they call the energy transition they really doubled down on renewables starting in the 90s at the same time in the last five to ten years have really aggressively pulled back on nuclear and at the same time have a very intense focus on climate change many of the concerns that our transmission system operators and overall energy policymakers have about the future of a high renewable penetration system a lot of that has already happened in Germany. They have been deinvesting in fossil fuels and then cut out all that carbon-free nuclear, are in the process of doing that too, which to us seems crazy, but the lights still turn on in Germany. And so there are a bunch of both mistakes that were made there. If you asked us, we would tell you, Shutting down your nuclear plants early is probably not a great idea if you're really concerned about carbon in the near term. But even if you do do that, you can keep the lights on. There are things in the U.S. that are happening faster than in Germany. There's really great value in the bi-directional communication. For example, UV penetration in Germany is quite low. Many people are surprised by that. But the internal combustion car industry in Germany is an extraordinarily large percentage of the employment population. Electric vehicle penetration is actually quite low, even though they've invested a lot in charging infrastructure. We have higher penetration in portions of the United States. States than they will have for years in Germany. There are a lot of lessons that some of our utilities are learning that we are actually importing back to Germany as well.
1: Getting back to you guys as being the role of a consultant, let's pretend you're in the CEO's office and whatever you say goes, (laughs) you're the king for a day. What's the first thing you'd tell them to do?
0: It really depends on the CEO, but the one thing that doesn't depend on the CEO is listen to the customer. For utilities, that has been a relatively new idea. What's valuable to those customers is going to be what's driving the success for both shareholders and for regulators going forward because those customers are really king and queen for almost every utility CEO. and also So we serve tech companies and mobility companies, and it's really know your customer. And for some of them, they're not quite sure who it is. Understand your customer and then listen to them and help them change the world that they want to change.
1: A couple months ago, I ran into our CEO at a sandwich shop. <laughs> and I go, I got a quick question for you. What would you say you do most of the day? And it wasn't like that. It was really for a position where you could basically be doing anything. You spend your time. Yeah, how do you spend your time? And I would think maybe you spend a lot of time doing investor relations. But the answer was very interesting. It was basically, I spend a lot of time trying to be an ambassador for the mission of the company. She goes, I was in D.C. meeting a trying to explain what we're working on it really was kind of an ambassador role yeah. is what, you know. well that
0: doesn't surprise me people often forget that a utility is a fundamentally revolutionary company they don't think about it that way because we've been successful with the model i'll give you an example google's tagline is organizing all the world's information <laughs> which is an extremely radical idea Utilities have been doing that for energy for 130 years. Yeah. Every utility has this really important both social, governmental, and societal role where the CEO being an ambassador, I can definitely see that. And I would actually make an argument that almost all private sector CEOs are in similar type of roles for their companies. It's just that the missions of those companies differ over time.
1: Yeah. If I was making decisions, I would say electric vehicles are the easiest way to see serious load growth, charging stations, vehicle to grid, city fleets. What other ways can we see additional load growth in this new world of rooftop solar and increased energy efficiency where that's shrinking for those guys? Uh,
0: um, I might redefine how you think about load. If you think about load, in aggregate as demand, mm-hmm. then you don't cut out the rooftop solar production. All you're doing is producing at a different point in the value chain there. But taking your definition of load, the short answer is there's not a ton. There's a few pockets of intense load growth, data management. I think communications networks are actually going to drive a lot of load growth. One of the big things about 5G that people are not thinking about is that each of those little small cells requires electricity. You're going from a space where you might have 400 towers or even in some cases for 4G, 40,000 cells across a small state like Rhode Island to a place where you're going to have 500,000 of them, all of which are drawing small amounts of power. And that's only for one network. If you've got four or five networks, that's actually a large amount of draw from an electricity point of view. Um, so, I think there are a few areas where you're going to see significant increases in demand, but it's likely to be largely offset by increases in efficiency and increasing penetration of distributed generation. And going back to our earlier conversation, I think that goes back to why the role of the utility in electricity is changing, but not necessarily the importance of the utility as an entity whose job it is to ensure, ensure the ubiquity and reliability of commodities.
1: Mackie, I talk more about energy storage than I do renewables, and I Interviewed Energy Storage Association late in 2018, they pointed out that storage can reduce the intermittency of conventional generation yep. those large assets. They can run longer yep. if you view storage as an accordion. Don't just think about it as intermittent renewables. Think of it as a way to level everything out. Is that something you're stressing running fewer? conventional baseload assets longer with storage.
0: I would say to some, for the most part, I would say the system operators are already on top of it. People actually don't realize how much storage already exists. For the most part, we don't store energy, but most system operators have at least some what I would call old-school water storage. You pump water up a hill and then you release it. I think storage is a key part of management of conventional baseload assets. And any system operator will tell you the same thing. Even the small amount of storage we have on the system saves probably hundreds of millions of dollars a year for each system operator on that big peak day. You take those 10 peak hours and you increase conventional storage, as well as new battery storage. And you're talking huge amounts of savings from having to turn on feaker plants. I think the increasing investment in new forms of battery storage, now that's an interesting challenge. And yeah, I would certainly say your analysis is right. Battery storage helps a system operator, period. Renewables, yes but also for conventionals. at the end of the day, the system operator is still playing a balancing slash energy manager role and storage just gives them more flexibility.
1: Right, I did an episode with Bath County Pump Hydro in Virginia, yeah. largest pumped hydro in the world. One of the things that I was a little bit surprised about was this emphasis of, this was built to save up the excess energy that our conventional nuclear has been producing. This isn't here to regulate a bunch of renewables on the grid. Plus this yeah. thing's been around for 30 plus years. I think that's kind of a little bit of an under Reported story.
0: Another thing, I was talking to some of the leadership at Hydro Quebec the other day, and I had a really huge aha moment about the big hydro up in I. They've been trying to get a transmission line down in New England for 30 years without a bunch of success. The people in New England don't love to have things built in their backyards so as a general rule. The way they view that asset is. It's a giant battery. We have a huge number of hydroelectric dams that are basically batteries that can help you manage your baseload assets in New England, whether those assets are renewable or not. People don't think about the differing ways in which existing conventional assets can be used that way. Similarly, I think modern battery storage has a significant role in helping manage conventional generation as well.
1: One of the things I want to talk about was deregulation. Now, I lived in Texas in the 2000s. They are deregulated. I'm in North Carolina now, where I heard a lot of stories about how they flirted with deregulation, and then they pulled back. Do you think deregulation is an answer, or is there a third way? How does energy view that?
0: One thing I'll say, I'll quickly slightly with the definition, because as a former regulator, I've never liked the term (laughs) deregulation. I think restructuring is a better way to describe it, Sure. deregulated utilities are still regulated by regulators. I don't think this is a binary situation. Texas is a really, really interesting market. In fact, when we speak to our German parents and to other folks in Europe, Texas is by far the closest to Germany of any of the markets in the United States. That's maybe surprising to people. What problem are you trying to solve? Many looked at restructuring as a way to decrease the amount of risk that ratepayers had for capital investment. But some of the original restructuring laws were designed with a presumption of permanent load growth, which is not the case anymore. That thinking is having to be revised about how you split risk between shareholders and ratepayers. I think as we're evolving the utility business model. This question of the degree of regulatory structure and vertical integration is going to go through some pendulum swings in different places. There are significant benefits to having a vertically integrated market in a world in which you have high renewable penetration and you want to incentivize energy efficiency electric vehicle because all of the incentives are in one place. When you split up the incentives, you have to do all kinds of crazy things in order to make the utility get a benefit from things like energy efficiency and distributed solar. At the same time, the competition on the retail side is great for the customer if it's done and managed properly. There are retailers in Texas that are offering free nights and weekends <laughs> for electricity because they're own producing wind. That's exactly the kind of market innovation that one wants to see. The challenge is that we're in a period of significant flux right now. One thing that's also pretty consistently true is that even though the problems are the same across, frankly, all global electricity markets, the solutions are really specific and they're specific to geography and to culture. I'm not sure there's a one size fits all in terms of structuring versus restructuring or regulation versus deregulation, however you want to call it. What I will say is that there are a lot of different answers that work well for different components of the society. There are a lot of really cool things happening in Texas that are not happening in some of the other deregulated markets. But one of the things we like to look at are what are the things that are driving that capability and how can they be imported to markets where even though they're deregulated or restructured, you're not seeing that same type of customer level innovation.
1: Mackie, I appreciate it. Going to finish with a lightning round of your thoughts on different energy technologies, starting with natural gas.
0: Bridge. Crude oil. We're evolving away from. Nuclear. Critical baseload for a carbon-free electricity system.
1: Coal, and I'll add coal with carbon capture.
0: If it works, could be useful. Really tough for coal to compete on a price, even with natural gas. And it's really hard for it to compete with some of the other ones. Hole's in a tough situation. Wind. Free. Solar. Also free. Biofuels. Interesting and potentially valuable for a lot of really important uses, but in some cases a little bit nascent. Hydroelectric. It's a big battery. Geothermal. Using the Earth as the big battery.
1: Yeah, I like that too. Energy
0: storage critical. I mean, big E, big S storage are really the thing that's going to keep the system costs of the energy transition low. Once we get those per unit storage costs down, and then the big helper there is frankly Elon Musk and what he's doing to, to the auto industry, decreasing those battery prices on a unit basis is really gonna help the electricity industry.
1: Speaking of him, electric vehicles.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's the future. I would admit I'm not a totally objective person as I'm an EV owner, but it is <laughs> a better product at a lower price.
1: Energy efficiency. Interesting.
0: I'm actually gonna answer that one with a question. If we take the assumption, which may not be true, that 20 years from now, because of the ubiquity of solar, wind and storage, the real price of electricity is somewhere around one cent per kilowatt hour or lower. When you're producing it for free, is it super important for there to be efficiency? (laughs) If it's ubiquitous, I think energy efficiency is going to end up going through a lot of changes that are not right now well predicted as a result of the transitions coming from high penetrations of renewables. And then finally, fusion power. That is the shangri or El Dorado of energy. Yes, if we can have a little bit of the sun on the Earth, that sounds great. It's a little bit like fuel cells where it's been 15 years away for about 50 years now. So I will love it when I see it.
1: Well, it's a new decade, and so maybe yeah. this will be it. All right, Mackie McCleary, Energy Consulting, thank you so much for your time.
0: Thank you so much for having me, it was a lot of fun.
1: That was Mackie McCleary, partner and U.S. lead for Energy Consulting. Mackie joined Energy last year. You may have heard him mention he was a regulator. He served as director of the Rhode Island Department of Business Regulation and was administrator for that state's division of public utilities and carriers. I want to thank Mackie for his time, as well as Kelsey Ray and Aaron Fagnett at KSV for setting this up. You can find plenty of pictures on Energy-Cast, as well as Instagram at Host Energy and Twitter at Host Energy-Cast. All guests are sent the raw and completed audio the week of release so far no complaints be sure to leave us a positive review on itunes that gets the word out music was produced by sean stroop at stroop loops that wraps up episode 77 be sure to join us next week when we discuss carbon storage in its many forms with the department of energy until then i'm jay downhower we'll see you next time